Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one. Now somebody shout praise the Lord. Man, that sure beat 400 middle fingers. I've had both ends of the spectrum. Amen. And then one time I was preaching in prison. I'd never preached in prison before. And like an idiot, I opened in prayer. And when I finished, I said, and everybody said, and it was dead quiet. And they looked at me, I don't know what you say. So this was a much better start. How many of you ready for God to do something great in your life tonight? Can you say amen? I was thinking as I was walking in, in the parking lot, almost full and the crowd full, uh, this is something that your pastor knows about, which is why he has me in for a week. But I started to say yesterday how revival meetings have been replaced with conferences where they have in six speakers and six nights. Everybody flies in for their night, doesn't know what's gone on the other nights. So my dad calls it six people in a canoe all rowing in their own direction, which is pretty much what happens. And so what happens is it doesn't build. But in a revival meeting, this used to be pretty common when I started preaching. Like there's a church in Plattsburgh, New York. And when I went there, you could tell the regular sanctuary was like this, and then they had built on, you could tell they had like knocked out this wall and built on like a crude addition to hold like another 200 people. And that pastor said, you see that part of the building? We had to knock the wall out and build an extra part real quick. Uh, of course, that was like back in the 80s where you could just do whatever you wanted without any permission. He said, we, we just knocked the wall out real quick and built a structure because we had so many people get saved when your dad was here that we had, we had to double the seating capacity of the church. And then I remember when I was a senior in high school, my dad was turning 40 years old. I was 18. And my dad felt to go on a 40-day fast for his 40th birthday. During the 40-day fast, he was booked to speak in a place called Otisville, Michigan, which is next to uh, Flint, Michigan, where they have the good drinking water. And o Otisville is a little town. The church had about 140 on Sunday morning. And my dad stayed there six weeks, and they had over 440 first-time decisions for Christ in the six weeks. And I'm not talking like in an outreach. I'm talking in the church. And so at the end of the six weeks when they closed it, there were 820 people in attendance in a church that seated about uh, four or 500. So thank God for fire marshals that are asleep at the wheel. Amen. And in that meeting... There was one family that had 42, 48 people of the same family that weren't saved, that got saved during those meetings. There was only one person saved. She came to my father the first Sunday and said, would you believe with me that my husband would get saved? Well, God didn't just save her. Her husband came and got saved. Then both sets of their in-laws, then all of their brothers and sisters, and then all of the their children and all the cousins. They took up an entire section of the church. And so if you, if you weren't here yesterday, because it's worth explaining, because I'm sure you've been asked the question and you didn't know what to say, especially like today. Your family said, where are you going tonight? I'm going to church. Uh, is this Groundhog Day? Didn't you go to church yesterday and the day before? Is it Easter and I forgot? It's awful warm this Christmas. Maybe they were right about global warming. Why are you going to church so many times? And people don't know, you know, I guess we're just supposed to be in church. We should be more faithful. No. Because the Bible says that God will build line upon line, precept upon precept, and everything starts to grow. If you only have one night of meetings, then somebody can get saved, but then as you keep it going, one thing that happens with people that get freshly saved, they're not like people that have been saved 30 years. 
they start getting excited and telling everybody, you need to come there. So what you'll see is you start to have like a snowball effect where somebody gets saved. We did a meeting in West Virginia and a lady came up to one of our workers and said, would you pray that my daughter gets saved? She is dating and living with a guy who's in a gang in Florida, the, the Bloods. And so that sounds like a huge request, right? So we pray, Father, somehow save the daughter. Well, what happened was the gang ended up having business in West Virginia. And you know, when a gang has business, we're not talking about selling indoor-outdoor carpeting. It's a, a legal business. Well, they have business coming up from Florida to West Virginia. And somehow or another, I mean, it's the Lord. I mean, it's not like as a gang, you're going to go up to West Virginia on prostitution and racketing and say, you know what, let's try to get the prostitution taken care of early tonight because I heard there's a minister over at a field and I want to make sure we get to hear him. But that's what they did. They wrapped up whatever they were doing. And not only did the daughter come, but she brought her boyfriend. Well, he comes and gets radically saved, gets, not, gets slain in the spirit. I remember there were three guys from a biker gang, and I mean like a West Virginia biker gang, not guys going through a midlife crisis that bought a motorcycle. I'm talking biker gang, not like we like someone to ride with, like we kill people. And so uh, they, they got slain in the spirit. Well, this guy, you know, when the gang leader gets saved, he's still the leader. So the next night, he comes back with four of the people, and then when the altar call came, he walks to the altar and waves them up like a traffic cop. You know, they have to get saved. And then the last night, how many of you were here Sunday night when I played that video of my Uncle Ted? Well, I was in West Virginia, and he was home. And I felt the Lord speak to me. I had preached every night of the Crusades, any city we did. But I felt the Lord speak to me, display that gift that he has to this crowd that's unsaved and newly saved. And so what happened was we went for a week outside, $80,000 in the amphitheater, paid for everything, and then so many people got saved. We ended up with over 2,200 decisions for Christ in a town of 16,000. And, you know, no surrounding towns. Like Alaska, you know, if you have like one town, it's not like there's suburbs to Wasilla. So, so anyway, we decided to go a second week, pay an extra 60 grand, about clear the, the account out, and I felt like Jesus. Because now we're not in the amphitheater. We moved to another stage and there was just a grassy hill. And we'd have like 1,300 people just sitting on blankets on the hill. And then go and walk in amongst them and preach like Jesus did. Well, the one night I introduced my, my uh, Uncle Ted. And he comes up and preaches. I still remember him preaching on Acts 27. When the angel stood by Paul and said, the shipwreck's not going to take your life. And I'm going to spare the boat. And my uncle, the last gang member that came, was sitting there in a red and black striped hooded sweatshirt you know still in his gang colors hadn't given his life to the lord yet and my uncle comes up to him and says son stand up this guy stands up for, you know when you hold crusade meetings it's different it's like you give a word to a church person you could be like off by a thousand yards and they'll still get yes amen yes you know because they, they want you to do well well, when you're doing a crusade, they don't, they don't care. They're, they're not saved. They're rank heathens. This guy's in a gang, like a real gang. And so when my uncle calls, says, sir, would you stand up? He didn't like lift his hands up and get ready for a word. He stands and goes like this. And my uncle Ted says, you, uh, you heard me preaching about angels. He said, an angel actually spared your life more than once. And the guy's just looking, yeah, like whatever. And he said, I'll tell you what I'm talking about. He said, not too long ago, you got an invitation to go to a party. And he said, you had like a zip-up track jacket on. You put it on and zipped it up and got ready to go out the door. And right when you got to the door, something checked you. You unzipped the jacket. 
threw it in the corner and said, I'm not going to that party. And later you found out there was trouble at that party and people got hurt and some died. Well, now he dropped the tough guy act and was like this. And then my uncle said, and now that, now that you know that I'm a man of God, I'm going to tell you the rest of it. When you were born, he was a black guy, he said, they told you that you, you had a problem and they couldn't figure out what the problem is. They thought it was sickle cell anemia. They gave you stuff for that. That never worked. And then they realized it wasn't sickle cell anemia and they never were able to figure out what it is. He went, how, you know, not amen. How do you know that? And he said, I told you, I'm a man of God. And he said, the Lord is going to heal that tonight. In Jesus' name. Well, now the guy lifts his hands. His eyes are teared up. And my uncle lays his hand on his head. And the guy, no ushers. Actually, he didn't lay his hand on him. He slapped him in the head. Let me tell you, if you slap a gang member in the head, you better be anointed. Or you're going to die. He said, in the name of Jesus, and slapped his head. And that guy went out under the power with no catchers, hit the, hit the gravel rocks, and then just laid there and began to speak in tongues. And we had stuff like that happen for two weeks because it kept building. See, if you only do one night, the gang member gets saved, praise the Lord. But when you stay, look at what's happening already. And I won't say who it is because it's nobody's business. But one of the people that got saved these last couple of nights, she came up to me and she was so receptive. She had come to the altar, but she was like so smiley and nice. I figured she must have been backslidden. I said, uh, where do you normally go to church? I don't. I said, well, did you grow up in church? No. She said, I came over to tell you this weekend, talking Saturday, I tried my best to commit suicide. As much as I'm for success, the only thing I'm for being a failure at is trying to commit suicide. That's the only thing there is that it's good to be bad at. Amen. She said, I tried to commit suicide, and as I was crossing over into death, I picked up the phone and called 911. And she said, that was the last thing I did. They were able to resuscitate me, and then somebody invited me to come and I came up and gave my Lord, life to the Lord tonight. And I felt, if you were here, when I went to walk away, one of the ladies grabbed me. And it looked like she just wanted a hug. But actually, she said, don't leave me. And kept her arm around me because she could feel the power of God. You know, Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to deliver the captives. So there's people that are in an invisible captivity, but when you carry God's power, you have what it takes to destroy that prison. I'm going to tell you right up front, everything that represents an invisible prison over your mind, over your family, over your body, it is being destroyed tonight in the name of Jesus Christ. And she was so happy, and I'm happy. And then who knows who she's going to tell. And I'm going to tell you, it can hit critical mass. We basically picked up where we left off the Friday I left before. Well, we're, the, the room was over full. And I went up to go see that church that you're getting ready to move into. That will be not one of the most beautiful churches. That'll be one of the most beautiful properties in the world. And I'm, I'm not saying it's be nice. I've traveled the world. That lobby that looks out over those mountains... That is a house worthy of the Most High God. And no wonder, no wonder all hell's trying to break loose, but all hell can do whatever it wants. We're not under the dominion of hell. We're in dominion over the gates of hell. That thing's not only going to be built, that thing's going to be filled with thousands of Alaskans dancing in the spirit, 
set free from opioids, set free from methamphetamines, set free from suicide, restored families. This is the beginning of God shaking the last frontier, the great state of Alaska. If you believe that with me, clap those hands, all ye people, and shout one more time unto God with the voice of triumph. Go ahead, take 15 seconds. Let the devil know he's in trouble. Trouble. If you have your Bible, open it with me to Mark chapter 16. That wasn't the sermon. That's just my way of saying hello. Mark 16. I'm doing an international evangelism summit July 8th through the 12th. It'll be online for free because God is going to restore that gift. Not that it went away, but he's going to restore it to the body of Christ. There used to, in the 80s, be an overabundance of evangelists. You'd have, like, it was like everybody was an evangelist. And then they, anytime somebody gets in trouble that's a national ministry, they call them a televangelist, even though 90% of them are telepastors. Can you say amen? So they identified everybody as an evangelist. Nobody wanted to be called that anymore. And now there's hardly any full-time evangelists, especially in, in North America. But many of you that are older know there were men like Oral Roberts and Billy Graham. Billy Graham in the 1950s rented Madison Square Garden. They stayed there for six weeks. And then on the final night of the meetings, they moved it from Madison Square Garden to Yankee Stadium. Richard Nixon popped in as the vice president unannounced. It was on national television. Of course, there was no cable back then. So they televised it on one of the major networks. And on that last night, because they moved it to Yankee Stadium, you don't have to use the field. You know, nobody's playing baseball. There were 92,000 people that packed Yankee Stadium to hear the gospel that night. It had an effect on America. Oral Roberts, you know, now you have churches put their tent up, which I'm not doing anymore. I'm not preaching under tents unless we're, we have to be in a tent. Churches think there's some kind of magicness about being under a tent. One, a couple years ago, I was preaching under a tent. It was like 117 degrees under the tent. It was on the church property, and I kept looking over to a multi-million dollar air-conditioned building 100 yards away and thought, this is stupid. So what people don't understand is the reason those guys would put up tents is because hotel ballrooms and all that are a recent thing. Back, I mean, you're in Alaska, you know. It's a recent thing that there would be hotels and even a place like Wasilla. So these guys would take the gospel to places where there weren't buildings, build it big enough to hold the crowd. There'd be an armory, but an armory can usually seat about 2,000 people, maybe 3,000. And Oral Roberts was having 10 to 20,000 people a night come to do two things, hear the gospel and be healed. Jack Coe would have blind eye night deaf ear night, then he would have what's called ambulance case night, where people would sign their loved ones out of the hospital, bring them by ambulance, they'd have a separate tent for them to lay in the bed, and when he got done preaching, he would go into that room. If you've ever seen Kenneth Copeland on TV, that's how Kenneth Copeland got his start. He traveled with Oral Roberts as a Bible college student, and they would keep a room because so many sick people came that were so sick they couldn't be in the meeting. Stage four cancer, you know, yellow eyes, can't sit up. So they would keep a side room or a side part of the tent for them to sit in. And then Kenneth Copeland's job as a Bible college student was to write the notes of the sermon 
and before Brother Roberts would come in and pray for them, to go in and re-preach like a cliff notes of the sermon. One night, Oral Roberts sent word to him, I'm too tired from laying hands on 2,000 people. Oral Roberts laid hands on over a million people in his ministry. He laid hands on so many people, he tore his rotator cuff. Yeah, doing what Jesus said. Oral Roberts said, I'm too tired to come in and pray for the people. So tonight, you preach the sermon to them and you pray for them. You're not praying with people that have the sniffles. You're praying for people that are about to die. And he did that, and that's what got him his start, impartation. Everybody say impartation. So now, if you go to Bible college, at a full gospel Bible college, they, they shoehorn everything into four things. Missionary, worship leader, pastor, youth pastor. That's it. But the Bible talks about apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And you only have one example of an evangelist in the Bible. The Bible says that Philip the evangelist went to Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And then it tells you, crowds listened intently to what he had to say. See, the only stuff they have for evangelists in America is run by Baptists. And Baptists are great people, but they don't believe in the move of the Holy Spirit in their doctrine, though they're starting to have to. That's a fact. They're actually letting, listen to this, the Southern Baptist Convention actually voted to allow their missionaries to be able to speak in tongues and pray for the sick because their missionaries were going overseas, getting their hat handed to them and having to come back home. But what they're going to have to start to realize is the same devil that operates over there, who do you think's behind heroin addicts? Why do you think people say, I don't want to do that anymore, and then something comes over them that makes them do that? The same power of the Holy Ghost that you need in Nigeria and South Africa and India, if you ever needed it anywhere, you need it in Detroit and St. Louis and Pittsburgh and Philadelphia and Chicago and Wasilla and Anchorage. That's why we're having these kind of meetings tonight. Because old, dead Christianity isn't going to cut it. In the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. If you're thankful for the Holy Ghost, can you say amen? amen? I'm tired of hearing him referred to as the Holy Spirit of God. He's God the Holy Spirit. It's not God, it's not God the Father's Spirit. It's Father Son and Holy Ghost. Three distinct persons. Hear people talking about they don't like the Holy Ghost in this country. Too, they, you know, dress too nice. Well, I dress nicer than them, and I like the Holy Ghost. It's the Father, the Son, and the Word. Amen. No, it's not the Trinity. Jesus already is the living word. It's the Father, the Son, and Jesus said, When I leave you, you think it's better if I were to stay. But it's actually better for you if I leave than if I stay. For if I stay, I cannot send another. He is the Holy Spirit who is with you now, but later will live in you. And Sunday, I dealt with it. Jesus said in John 7, what will happen when he lives in you? Rivers of living water. Not a puddle, not a sprinkling. Not a touch. Brother, I just need a touch. We don't, I, you go to somebody else's meeting. I'm in the river business. Can you say amen? amen. Rivers of living, everybody say rivers of living water. Shall flow out from within, verse 30, John 7, 38. But this spake he of the spirit who had not yet been given, but would be given to who? Apostle, the first 12 apostles? No, 
to all who believe. A 22-year-old mother needs the Holy Ghost. If you're going to raise children in this day and age, you need the Holy There's every force from the media to the demonic realm to everything else trying to break up marriages, carry your children away as slaves to whatever kind of addiction. If you're going to have a happy life and God wants you to have, Jesus did not come so you could endure life. Jesus came so you could enjoy life. I have come that you might have and have it more. And you can't do it without the Holy Ghost. I said you can't do it without the Holy Ghost. I was preaching. I'm going to show you a crusade that we did in, in Newark, New Jersey after I left here last year. The greatest thing God's done for us to this point in our ministry. But the one that led up to it was in a place called Vineland, New Jersey. And when I got up to preach the first night, there was a big gangster, Puerto Rican guy, that was a member of the Latin Kings. He had a white, uh, we used to call them wife beaters, but I don't think you're supposed to say that anymore. White, uh, I think at TJ Maxx it says, A-frame tank top. So we'll go with that. He had on a white A-frame tank top. Wife beater. <laughs> I have a feeling in Alaska they're not willing to let go of a wife beater. They're not going to go A-frame tank top yet. So he, he had on that white tank top, and he had on a gold necklace that looked real with a big gold scorpion on it and tattoos up his neck and up the one side of his face. And he was a big guy, probably about 6'5". I mean, he towered above the crowd. There was 4,000 people opening night, and I noticed him. So you got to be pretty big to get noticed. And when I saw him, when I finished preaching and gave the altar call, he didn't come up. But when I got done, he locked eyes with me, and he went like this. And I felt led to go. So I went over to where he was at. And he uh, spoke nothing but Spanish. But I had my interpreter, Israel Lugo, with me. And he said, uh, he said that his dad has stage four cancer and is in his house. And he wants you to come back to his house and pray for him. Again, if it was only one night, then I would. But I said, does he know that I'm not just here tonight? Tell him I'll be here all week. And he said, no, I didn't know that. I said, if you bring your father, and I'm sure with stage four cancer, he's in bed and all that. I said, just bring him in his bed, lay him on the field. And I said, uh, in the hospital bed up on the wheels. And I said, when I f if you bring him tomorrow, then when I finish preaching, I'll pray for your father first. And he agreed. And so the next night I get up to go up on the platform, Monday night. And as soon as I take the mic and turn around, he's standing right where he was at. And I can see his father in a bed with four of the other gangsters on each corner of the bed. And he goes like this. In other words, I kept my end of the deal. So I gave the altar call that night. He didn't come forward. But uh, I finished, I had the band play. They sent all the new converts over to get their Bibles and fill out their cards. And then uh, I went back to him, kept my word. I didn't pray for anybody yet. And I came back and I said uh, to his, I said, this is your father? See, si. I said, nice to meet you, sir. And he could barely move, yellow eyes, mouth drawn like when you're getting ready to die. He shook his head laying on the bed. You know, he had four gangsters each take a corner of the bed and carry it from the house to the field. It was like the story in the book of Mark when the guys broke through the roof but with more tattoos. <laughs> and so I prayed best I could. Father, in the name of Jesus, Normally I pray because you told us as ministers to pray for the sick, but 
Also, I feel like my life is kind of on the line now. So if I would like to extra ask you to do something. And I prayed. And as I was praying, and I got into my prayer and was crying, thank you, Father, for touching. Well, then his, I heard the old man start to go, Santo, Santo, which is holy, holy. And I opened, I peeked out of one eye to see how things were going. And the dad had his arms up crying. And, you know, Santo's holy in Spanish. And he was praising the Lord. And then he, he started to sit up in bed. Well, then I worked up enough nerve to lift my, lift my head up and see what the son was doing. And the son, with that scorpion tattoos up his face and teardrops on the one eye, he has his hand crying and thanking God. And then the other four guys, they weren't getting touched at all, but when you're a gang member, you have to do what the leader does. So they were all just going like this. You know, Catholic, you go like this, but then if you watch baseball, like Puerto Ricans and Dominicans, they added like tons. It's like. So they're all doing that. Just shaking their head like reverently. And then I said to the, uh, when I got done, the dad was praising the Lord. He said, I feel better, started to move. And then I seized on the opportunity. I said to the son, I said, you know, Jesus loved you. I said, I said, that's why I'm here. If I wanted to preach to people that are already going to heaven, I'd be in a church. I came on the field because I know there's people like you. They're taking care of your dad. You know, you start meeting people. It's not like people chose to be in a gang. Just needed, who knows, with the dad with cancer, you're in your early 20s, you don't have insurance. You know, there's one way to get the money and you went after it. I'm not justifying. I understand though. I said, but you don't have to go to hell. Jesus, now he's crying harder. I said, will you give your life to Jesus Christ? And his dad looked up at him and nodded his head yes. And he said, I, I will in Spanish. I took his hand. We prayed. I deposed the prayer four times for him to collect himself. I love you, Jesus. Come into my heart, all, all that. And then he gives me a huge hug. Tells me I don't normally hug people in Spanish through the interpreter. I don't normally hug people, but would you mind if I hug you? Oh, you don't normally hug people? You didn't get the teardrop tattoos from giving really good hugs? <laughs> I kind of had a feeling you weren't like, in touch with your feminine side. You don't have a feminine side. <laughs> he gave me a tight hug. Thank you. Thank you. Kept coming. Kept bringing guys. We can take this nation. You know. Take your Bible and turn to Mark 16. I already told you to turn to Mark 16 before this, right? Yeah, so if you haven't found it by now, just give up. <laughs> Somebody has their Bible like upside down in the colored maps in the back. Why do they have maps in the back? Is there somebody like in Syria right now? Now it says here that if we go left. <laughs> Mark 16. It's going to be a good night. Mark 16, I mean, you listen to people laughing now. You understand why in Acts chapter 2, they said these men are, if somebody came in here that had never been to church, they said, that's not a church service. Those people have had too much communion. They need to cut it back to those little cups. You don't drink the whole glass. But the, we have a wine that they don't know about. 
We have something stronger than Jose Cuervo and Bacardi and everything else. It's the new wine of the Holy Ghost that gives righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Come on, if you receive that tonight, put those hands together again and give God a mighty shout. Woo! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! I feel victory in here. Mark 16, 15. Then Jesus commanded them, not suggested, go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone. That's the supreme commandment once you get saved. Go and T.L. Osborne said, every Christian is required to preach the gospel full time or to send somebody as a substitute. That's why they take offerings at the end. Because that's the command of Christianity. Not going to all the world. And again, let me preface it with this. We fed a thousand kids this morning in very, very poor places. Refugee camps. I've gone to them and fed them myself, but I was so slow at doing it, they, after about the third person, they said, okay, let us take back over. So I'm not against that. But you hear now, even with Christians and church people, they have forgotten this. They don't understand what the purpose of the church is. I, I was watching CNN on Sunday morning, and they were asking faith leaders, what's even the point of the church? Well, church, these were the Yale Divinity people. Well, church provides a place of community for people to interact. That's not what it is. The church is a rescue center where you can bring in people. What, did the, what was the function of the church with that port, Puerto Rican guy's father and him? He's going to hell. His dad's going to die of cancer. And in three hours, one was healed and they both were safe and smiling and happy. The point of the church is the church is the body of Christ. We are his hands extended. Who we touch, he touches. You will lay your hands on the sick. And when you lay your hands on them, you're connected to me. My power will flow through them. What do they need to build that big church for upon the hill? We gave you a hundred years as the government to solve the drug problem and solve everything else. And you blew it. So now let us take over. Because the truth is, the government can't do... You know, when you read this stuff, because every governor, Pennsylvania, you know, I live in the state where Philadelphia is. Majorly demonized, major drug problems. People just walk. I'm not over suddenly. Go, I was going to say go to Philadelphia. I, I want to advise it. Go get a cheese. You can get the cheesesteaks mailed to you now. You, there's people literally, almost every time you go down the sidewalk in the middle of the day, just staggering around, mumbling to themselves. Mind totally fried from drugs. Younger than me. Can't walk right. You can tell they've stroked out one or two times. One part of their body drawn up. Fried by that drug. Well, when you read like the governor of Pennsylvania, we're, we've just signed a uh, $10 billion initiative. You know what the initiative is? To give police more Noxalone or whatever they call it to help revive people that have overdosed. What does that do? All you're doing is delaying if they don't get free, they're going to OD again. And I told you about leading my barber to the, to the Lord. And he relapsed about eight months ago. I'd been taking him, and then he relapsed. 
and went away for a while. I'll tell you the whole story. But it made me laugh because in church, I finally saw him after he got out of the program and all that. And my hair was like super long. And he goes, man, your hair is really long. I went, I know, my barber relapsed on heroin. It was him, you know. I haven't found anybody to cut my hair yet. He laughed, unlike you. So I hadn't heard from him. He hadn't been in church. And I knew in my spirit something was wrong. And then I woke up one morning, and I had a text message, 3.37 a.m. from him, my barber that I led the Lord two years ago. I need help. I knew it. So I said, what, where are you at? He told me where he was at, and I went to the apartment where he was uh, going through withdrawals. And I realized why people stay hooked. You know, I never, my dad's a Holy Ghost preacher. My mother is a Holy Ghost woman. I'd never been around drug, drugs. And then I saw, you know, you're having 105.7 fever and shaking uncontrollably, and you pay 20 bucks and text somebody and take one more hit, and it all goes away. How demonic. So I said, I'll come over. He's, he's almost 50. He's in his late 40s. Might have just turned 50. So I came there. After I finished my broadcast, I was in a three-piece suit. You could tell which person doesn't belong at the drug house. <laughs> and I'm going to get a point across to you before we finish that scripture. The way I was raised as an old Pentecostal was, if you go to a drug house, well, you better be careful, you know, because the devil's there. He, he'd take you over. They never gave you a mentality Darkness doesn't drive out light. And I'm not recommending if you're a baby Christian, but I'm me no baby Christian. My training wheels came off a while back. I crossed that bridge a long time ago. And actually, if you see what drugs are really like, in the last stages like that, there was no temptation. You don't see people shivering and sweating, feeling like they're going to die and say, hey, let me get some of that. The devil always baits you with the best up front, and then it gets worse. God gives you his best up front, and then it goes from glory to glory from there. So when I was driving over to see him, I got that revelation in me about light driving out darkness. And the Bible is saying when they, 1 Samuel chapter 5, when they put the Ark of the Covenant next to, next to the idol Baal, Baal fell down and his head and hands broke off. And what was in that ark is now in us. The Bible says in Romans 8, we are partakers of his glory. Lift your right hand up to heaven and say, I am a partaker of his glory. And so I just was so drunk on that that if I sat there, I didn't feel like that could continue. So I went over in a three-piece suit, sat next to him on the couch, and didn't say one word. Just sat right next to him on the cushion next to his on that dirty place. And just sat like this. And he's going, oh, man, I messed up. I feel, like, I feel so terrible. And he's going. And I, let, I just let him talk for like 14 minutes, 16 minutes. When you're anointed, people actually start confessing to you without you asking. He starts telling me stuff. He, you know, when I was in prison, I did, I did this. And I know I shouldn't have done it. And just let him go. And then after about 20 minutes, he goes, man, this is going to sound crazy to you. But I'm actually starting to feel better just with you sitting next to me. You know, like, what do you think I was going to say? Seriously? I said, I believe you. You know, I never understood. We've talked about non-Holy Ghost churches. They'll all tell you about the power of the devil and the power of sin. And people are very familiar with that. Some of you had a, a stepdad or a dad that was a nice guy. But if he drank, I was just watching Forensic Files this afternoon. Some guy that committed a horrific crime. You know what he did first? He got drunk. And they call him spirits for a reason. That when you get intoxicated, it'll start to like magnetize unclean spirits. 
There's people that are super nice if they're sober and then if they get something in them. Alcohol is actually, will actually feed the anointing of the flesh. Where if you have an anger problem, it'll amplify it. If you have a, a proclivity to sexual immorality, it'll amplify it. And so he's there and he's high and I'm sitting there and he says, I feel better. I'm feeling better. I said, I believe you. And I stayed with him. And then I made a plan with him. I said, we're going to get you enrolled in a detox place. I'd never done this before. I called people and asked them what you're supposed to do. I actually felt like the good Samaritan because he called up the detox place and they said, what's your insurance? He said, I don't have any. He was on, they were on speaker. And they said, well, then we can't take you. I said, give me the phone. I said, do you take U.S. cash? They said, yes. I said, okay, then don't worry about his insurance. Just his insurance is Jonathan Shuttlesworth. Put it down for me and I'll be down to pay cash. So I sent Magalas down, Adalas' twin sister. She brings him down with Kofi. They check him in and they pay cash. The lady said, I've worked here for 35 years. I've never seen anybody do that for somebody else. That's what a Christian, you know, when you hear them bash prosperity and bash the blessing, you know what the blessing enables you to do? Without money, you say, sorry to hear about your problem. Hope you get some help. But if you get what God said you can have, he didn't just say, I'll bless you. He said, I will make you a blessing wherever you go. And that's what God's going to do in your life this week. God's not just going to touch you and then come tomorrow night and get touched again. No, there's going to be an overflow of the fire of God for you to affect your generation. Got him taken care of. Hasn't missed church one Sunday since. And I haven't invited him. I used to invite him and stay on him and then I kind of gave up and he doesn't miss. He's doing it himself now. And every time I go there, me and Adala sit right with him because he's my brother. I, I rescued that guy. And I'm just getting warmed up. I actually told uh, Jay in the car ride home, I felt in my spirit this morning, I'm going to go somewhere in downtown Pittsburgh with no permit, do like a festival of life with just, just like a pop-up crusade. I'm going to go down. I don't need a microphone. Microphones for online people. I can cover about 2,000 people with my lungs. And I'm just going to start preaching, but I'm not going to be a typical street preacher. Normally when you hear people just preach on the street, you people are going to hell. You people need to repent. People are actually already in hell. People already know they're doing the wrong thing. They don't need to hear how bad they are. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that draws people to repentance. They need to hear somebody say, you're in a pit right now, but there's a way out of that pit. You can call on the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. And I don't know what they do in America now if you start preaching without a permit, but I can tell you, the mood I'm in, it'd be a bad idea to try to arrest me. It would not turn out well. That's not a physical threat for me. I have backup that you can't see. I have the same backup Elijah had. And it'll be a cold day in hell with the devil eating a popsicle when every person is allowed to spew whatever they want on the streets of America and the church is told to stay inside in a small building. And then even if they get a big building and say, no, it can't be that big. I'm going to tell you, the whole table is about to get flipped on the devil. This is the hour where God has raised up an army of young men, old men, young women, old women who will not bow to bail will not kiss his face God's going to use you I said God's going to use you 
Anyway, that's, that's just verse 15. Go into all the world and preach the good news. Gospel means good news. Everybody say good news. It's not bad news. I mean, if you're in drugs, shame on you. That's not good news. Good news is no matter who you are or what you've done, you're one prayer away from a miracle. Good news is there's nothing the devil has done for, to you that God can't do something about it tonight. I'm telling you, I'm looking forward to going into the city and doing that. We just keep coming back. Have our own little unlicensed revival meeting. You want to know another thing? If you get enough gangsters saved, they will make sure you don't get arrested. <laughs> Hallelujah. You get your own free security. Can you say amen? amen? Actually, you know that guy that I prayed for his dad in Vineland, New Jersey? When he finished getting saved, he hugged me and cried like I told you. And he said, Reverend, if you have any trouble, if you ever have any trouble, any problems, I want to give you my phone number. Well, I had a feeling he didn't mean plumbing problems <laughs> or mechanical problems. And if I was more saved, I'd have said something like, oh, no, that's part of your old life now. But I said, let me get that number. <laughs> and I'll tell you what I have it in my phone as right now. My daughter at the time was two years old. And even at two, you have people just prophesy the most negative stuff. Oh, your daughter really loves you. Wait till she's 14 and gets a boyfriend. I had about five people tell me that. Wait till she turns 15 and gets a boyfriend then. So when that guy said, let me get your number, all those people saying that rang in my head. I put down his number and I put over top of it, boyfriend problems. So if those prophecies ever come true and she gets some boyfriend that's driving a wedge between her and God and her and me, I won't even have to pray about it. Just send one text message to New Jersey and like the Egyptian army, you will never see them again. Hallelujah. Isn't it great that before the devil even gets the plan off the ground, God already has a plan to rescue you and to lift you up. Now, I, I've been preaching in the abstract most of the night so far. But let me bring it away from New Jersey and Philadelphia and Pittsburgh to here. Whoever's here tonight, that the devil has run roughshod over you. This has been the worst year you've ever had. The last 18 months have been hell on earth. The last years. You don't remember the last time you've genuinely smiled, genuinely laughed. The Bible says part of the curse is in the morning they'll wish it was night, and at night they'll wish it was morning. You're just enduring life, doing what it takes to get through. I'm telling you, revival. What is revival? You can't revive something that hasn't been vived at least once. You used to be alive. And sin or addiction or abuse from other people. Some people, it's not even their fault. Somebody abused them. They weren't minding their own business. And some demonized person inflicted you with something. And you haven't been right since. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a New creature. New creature consists of two parts. New and creature. New is the opposite of old. And creature is predicated on the word create. 
You're not the old sinner trying to be a Christian now. You're not the old addict trying to go to church more. You, the old sinner is dead and all things become new. I tell everybody in Wasilla, I did not come 5,000 miles for you to leave tonight the way that you came. Everything that came into your life from hell, from the devil, it drops off you for free tonight in the name of Jesus Christ. Tonight in Jesus' mighty name. If you believe it, shout amen like thunder. If you believe it, shout amen like thunder. Mark 16, 15. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. How come you Christians can't keep your religion to yourself? It's against our religion to keep our religion to ourselves. <laughs> Stupid. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. To who? To everyone. Anyone who believes, hallelujah. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. And if that's all it said, then I wouldn't work so hard. But there's this troubling second part. But anyone who refuses to believe will be damned to hell. No parole board, no time off for good behavior. Gone for eternity. So if it was just you go to heaven and if you don't, you just stay asleep in a coffin, I might go out and preach once every three months. But the fact that every man will stand before the Lord to give an account for their life. And if they've not taken time, if you ever go to the University of Alaska or some college and you have a philosophy professor, even in high school, that asked that same question the Greeks were asking thousands of years ago, as if it has no answer. What is life? Life is the space of time that God gives a man to repent before he heads into eternity. That's what life is. It's your time on earth and your chief goal is to repent of sin and receive Jesus Christ so that you can go into the next life. I want you to know if you're the worst sinner in Wasilla, I'm not your enemy. The only people I ever have storm out of my meetings are Bible college students that know everything with a Bible big enough to choke a grizzly bear. <laughs> Religious people. Same people that didn't like Jesus. Jesus actually didn't have a problem with sinners. Pilate liked him. I don't find any fault in this man. It was the Pharisees and Sadducees that hated miracles. They hated. They got angry when he rose Lazarus from the dead. They actually said in the next chapter, John chapter 12, now we'll have to kill Lazarus too because the crowds are going to them. And religion's the same way right now. I guarantee you the maddest people in Wasilla that that church is going up are anti-Holy Ghost churches. Because rather than realize that they bought into a dead form of religion and admit that they're wrong and come over to the winning side, they would rather, they'd be happy if that church burnt down. There were religious people that burnt down T.L. Osborne's tent. Not Satanists. Not biker gangs. Religion. Religion is what put Jesus on the cross. Because religion wants to control people. Are you going to that church again tonight? Sounds like a cult. You know how you can tell a cult? What happens when you try to leave? If you try to leave this place, we'll help you get gas. 
We don't call your family and say, don't talk to her anymore. They'll actually pray for you after you leave. Can you say amen? amen? Yeah. But religion has to control. Religion offers no help. Some of us came, my mother came from a religion like that. Your family dies, you pay $430 and they'll light candles in a church in Poland or Rome on behalf of your loved one. Where's that in the Bible? That's a way to make $430 off of people that are grieving the loss of a loved one. Nobody ever gets better. People come in bound and leave bound. People come in, Chris, anybody remember the comedian Chris Farley? Did you know he went to a church 36 hours before he died? He had started coming to church. You know, people can tell when they're going to go into eternity. Some of you have grandfathers like that and fathers. They never wanted anything to do with church. But when they hit 65, 70, let me see that Bible over there one more time. Because people know on the inside of them that there is more to life than this. This is your earth suit. But one day when you lay this down, the real you, the Bible calls him the hidden man of the heart, the spirit, where you get your intuition, will pass into eternity. Chris Farley could feel he was dying from that drug addiction. Goes to a church. After church, 36 hours before he died, he goes up to see the priest and says, Father, I heard the priest say this in an interview. Father, I need help. You imagine that. You're one of the most famous people on the planet and you need help so bad that you wait after to go, hey, I don't care if anybody recognizes me or if I have to sign anything. I need help. And the priest told him, and I'm not picking on Catholics because most, most Protestant people would have said the same thing. Oh, Chris, don't worry about it. Just keep coming to church. You'll do better. And that, well, he wasn't. When people are bound by drugs or whatever else, when they're under the bondage of the devil, if they're not set free, I can actually tell you from experience, and I'm sure Pastor Daniel would back me up, if they start getting close to Calvary and the cross, whatever spirit, if it's not broken off, them, will actually like move in for the kill. And right after he left that meeting on Saturday night, he goes and gets a prostitute. You know what the prostitute said in the interview? He never even slept with her. He just was lonely and wanted somebody to do drugs with. Does drugs with her passes out in an OD, passes out in his own vomit and looks up at the hooker on her way out and says, please don't leave me. I feel so alone. And she leaves him and he dies in his own vomit right there. One of the funniest people. One of the nicest people. You can't find anybody that has a bad word to say about him. And he went for help. And the church had no power. And off he goes into eternity. And I heard that when I was like 19. I thought, never with me. If somebody wants to go to hell, I can't change it. But if somebody comes and says, I need help, then it is the job of a minister to carry the glory of God and to set the captive free. And I'm going to tell you something. You're going to read that Jesus is going to say, these signs will follow all who believe. So it's not just a preacher that's supposed to carry it. When somebody comes up to you at work or at a cafe or at Dairy Queen or at Taco Bell and says, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. They don't need a Christian. 
to wait for them to finish talking and say, well, you think that's bad. You should hear what's happening with me. Well, you should come to church. What do they need your church for? You just told them things are worse with you than with, with them. Do you know what a Christian should do? A Christian, when somebody tells you, I don't know what I'm going to do, you should say, give me your hands. I'm going to pray to my God. And the same way my God delivered me, he will deliver you out of all your trouble. I'm going to tell you tonight, that's what I'm preaching into you. I'm preaching the gift of faith into your spirit where you used to be weak, but you're leaving here tonight strong. You're going to make the devil rue the day. He didn't take you out when he had the chance. That, that's what revival is. That's why the meetings are growing. It's come back and get another touch. Tomorrow. It's get filled. Overfilled. And then go out and make the devil sorry he didn't take you out when you had the chance. So many people fall in and out of church. You know, they're in there six weeks, then they go missing two months. Pastoral staff has to track them down. You want to know a good way to stay serving the Lord? Keep pushing the Lord to other people. It's hard to fall away from something you're pushing. You stay engaged in rescuing souls. Amen. Then you get very engaged in it. You actually don't even have time to backslide. If I wanted to backslide today, when would I do it? In between services? If the devil came to tempt me, I would tell him, I can't talk now. I have a meeting at noon. I have another one at 7. I'm off next week. Text me. There's no time. Because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not like the people like Jesus said that are just wandering around with no... You, you look at people going to hell. They're just going nowhere. Just on the street. Walking a dog. Headed nowhere. No direction. And some of us were like that. And then God got a hope. And he doesn't just save you for heaven. He will give you something to do on this earth where you will make a mark on your generation. Lift both hands all over this place. Receive that in your spirit today in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, if you receive it, put those Alaskan hands together one more time and give Jesus the loudest shout of praise for he's worthy to be lifted up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to everybody. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. And these miraculous signs, everybody say miraculous signs. We'll follow all, but say all, all. who believe. They will speak with new tongues. We don't believe in that. Then rip the page out of your Bible. But it's there anyway. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll cast out devils. Not devils will cast them out. They will cast out devils. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. If they drink anything poisonous, it won't harm them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick. And not the sick might recover. 
Not in God's timing they'll be healed. The sick will be healed. When the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere and preached. And the Lord worked through them. Everybody say through them. Lord, we just ask you to heal Wasilla. God's up in heaven going, I thought I told you to do that. Jesus doesn't work on the outside of you. Jesus first by sends the Holy Spirit, he does a work in you. And then the work that he does in you overflows and he begins to do a work through you. Can you say amen? amen? Work through them, confirming what they preached with many signs and wonders. When the Lord called me to be an evangelist when I was eight years old, I started getting meetings at churches slowly when I turned 22. And then I hit a point, you know, where you're just believing for people to book you to speak. You don't have anywhere to go. Then your schedule gets full, which you never thought deep down would ever happen. But then, and then you think that's the goal. Praise the Lord. Now my schedule's full. But then you start to do the math like I did one night. And I thought, if I have 100 people come to the altar to receive Jesus Christ, which would be a lot, and 50 of them had never been to church before, just rank sinners, never heard the gospel, you know, positive growth. Then, and I preach 50 weeks a year, six nights a week. The most people, if you do the math, 50 new people, six nights a week, one night to travel, 50 weeks a year. The most people you could ever get saved in a year is 15,000. And if you do that in a country of 330 million, you will come, touch the planet, and leave the planet. Nobody who ever knew you came, you won't make any mark on your generation. So I started, I actually finished preaching that night in Philadelphia, sent my wife and Camille up to bed. I said, I'll be up in about an hour. And I walked around the hotel dressed like this, having a chat with God. I told him what I told you. You know, people say numbers don't matter to God, but if that's true, it's very odd that he named an entire book of the Bible Numbers. In fact, if you read the Bible, it counts everything. Can you say amen? I said, Father, I thank you that you called me into evangelism when I was eight. I'm honored that you chose me. I know it was not because anything I did. I had a speech impediment, so you could have picked anybody. So I'm honored. But since you did call me, and since you commanded us to be fruitful and to bear more fruit, and that you're glorified when we bear more fruit. Do you know that? The way you can bring the most glory to the Lord is the souls that you bring in glorifies him. In the book of Proverbs, in the multitude of people is the honor of the king and in the one of people is the prince destroyed. God likes crowds. God likes multitudes. You read that in the book of Acts, all of, it was Jesus, multitudes and multitudes and multitudes. But I'm not having multitudes and I can't change it. My uncle's not the head of the Southern Baptist Church. I can't put in a phone call and ask somebody to get me a crowd. But you can. You said promotion comes from you. And I'm putting in my request. If you will give me the ability to reach as many people in one night as it takes me three months of traveling to do right now, I will not make you sorry that you did. I won't start getting up on the platform and giving my thoughts on them. I will preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and call people to get saved. And I'm asking you to give me a shot. If there's anything you told me to do that I haven't done, remind me of it. I'll do it right now. If there's anything you told me to quit doing, that I, I will stop now. But to my knowledge, me and you are cool. So give me a shot. And then I said this to him. Maybe God likes my humor. Maybe he doesn't. We'll find out. 
I said, and I might not be your first pick, but how many Americans do you have walking around a hotel parking lot right now? So at least I am here. You know, if you're on a construction team and you need three loads of sheetrock carried up six flights of steps and your least favorite guy's there, but no one else showed up, he is there. And I'm here. And if you'll use me, I would be honored. The next day, at the day service, the noon service, the old pastor, Brother Farina, who's 85 now, he's 79 then, runs down. You know, he, both his parents are from Sicily. He grew up in, the, in uh, the Bronx. He's Italians, and he's been preaching for 60 years. So the combination of those three things, he sounds like an extra on The Godfather. So he runs down the center aisle and goes, Brother Jonathan, you're not going to believe what just happened. I said, what? He said, last night when you were preaching, there was a lady watching that's connected to the city council in Philadelphia. And she heard some of the things you said. They want you to use any of the fields that you want in Philadelphia to preach to the people because they said that they think you're the answer to the problem. So when I was praying in the parking lot, the wheels were already in motion. Before they call, I will answer them. And while they're yet speaking, I will hear. So without going into a long story, we hooked the thing up. I get up the first night. We, we passed out a 1,000 grocery boxes. I thought people would stay for that. But I thought, the way I was trained in Bible school, I thought, and I know people. I live in America. I thought they're all good for the music. They're all good for the food. But the second I come up and crack this Bible, that crowd's going to scatter like cockroaches when you flip a light on so I thought, well, I'll give it a go. And I, I flipped the Bible. God actually gave me the words to say to open the meeting up. Not only did people not leave, people started to come more from the projects. We were in like the, the second worst part of Philadelphia, one of the bottom 10 places in the country with violent crime and everything, which is where Jesus told you to take the gospel. Go to the blind and the halt and the maim and the needy and preach the gospel to them. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And I have come to seek and save that which is lost. Can you say Amen. And so I preached that night, 700 and some people give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time, including two Muslim women who in the middle of my preaching grabbed the underside of their burqa and pulled it off mid-sermon. And when I saw that, I started to get excited. When you preach outside, it's weird. You say stuff you can't say, you know, like you've never been trained to say. There was a Chinese restaurant, you know, it's the hood. There's always a Chinese restaurant in the hood. It's like everything, the bank's closed, everything's closed, the Chinese restaurant is always open. And so I'm preaching and giving the altar call, and I see people standing outside of the Chinese restaurant, and I was like, you need to come to Jesus tonight. Even if you're in the Chinese restaurant, there's room at the altar for you. 700 and some people come. Next night, 500 and some people come. At the end, we had 2,564 people saved in five nights. First time decisions for Christ. So check this out. So this is in America. And again, I'm not against overseas missions. I'm for overseas missions. I've been overseas like three different times this year already. But why do people raise all that money to go preach in a place and then come home to America and take the next 51 weeks off? When America is actually in worse shape than most of the countries that we go and preach to. You don't have to go to India to cast the devil out of somebody. There are demon possessed. Go to Walmart at 2 a.m. and knock yourself out. You say, how do you know they're demon possessed? Look what they're wearing. 
Nobody that's in their right mind would put that outfit together. <laughs> and do you guys shop at Walmart to Let's just move on. So, so then after two nights, you know, I, I, I think ahead. So two nights is great. It's going guns blazing. But then I think, what am I going to do when this meeting's over? You know, am I going to go back to doing what I was doing before? So I prayed on the way over. Father, I thank you for answering this prayer. But now what? I couldn't give myself this meeting. You did it. If you feel like I've done well, give me more. I pulled my vehicle under the graffiti-covered bridge in Nicetown, Philadelphia. And that old pastor, David Farina, at 80 years old, is standing there out in the heat. It was 95 degrees, right where I was parking my car. He knew by the spirit where I was going to park because I parked in a different spot every night. That's why I still had my car at the end of the meeting. Amen. <laughs> He's standing there. He actually told me the whole story after. He said he was picking his wife up from a doctor's appointment and the Lord quickened him to go to the meeting 45 minutes away. He drives there. He's standing there. And when I saw him, it's 95 out. There's no seats. You know, everybody just standing in the field. I said, Brother Farina, you don't have to stay here. You already are saved. You know, I'm not going to help you. He said in that voice, I didn't come to hear you preach. I came because I have a word from the Lord for you. He had never given me a word from It'd be like if Dr. Morocco said he had a word for the Lord for you. Some people, my Uncle Ted asked Brother Shambach, have you ever done something only because somebody gave you a prophetic word? And Brother Shambach answered, it depends if I had confidence in the one giving me the word. So when a seasoned person gives you a word like that, you know, I've been preaching for him for four years. He never given me one prophetic word. Now he has one. I lifted my hands. You know what he said? The Lord told me that he's proud of you for going after people that nobody cares about. And because you've done a good job doing that, he's now going to quickly send another mayor to you who will beg you to come to his city. Well, I heard what he said. A mayor will run to you. I never saw a mayor run unless the FBI is coming in to raid their office. I've certainly never seen one run after a preacher. But I had enough sense not, not to be like the guy in Second Kings. Well, I don't know how that can happen. I said, praise the Lord. And then like Mary pondered those things in my heart. How's that going to happen? I finished preaching that night. About 500 people come to the altar again. I go off the stage. It was 95 out. I lost like, I think I lost 12 pounds in five nights. I was thinking about starting an infomercial called Preach Yourself Skinny. One and two and three and one and two and three. Be like the Billy Blanks of. So I'm, I'm gassed, you know, by the time I finish giving the altar call, I come down off the stage, go in the back to get water. And this guy that was about 58 years old in a black T-shirt and black pants comes running and throws his arms around me. And then with, keeps one arm around me and points to the people that are still at the altar and goes, this is wonderful. This is wonderful. I said, I know, praise the Lord. And I started wondering where security was. And then he said, I'm the mayor of Vineland, New Jersey. If you'll come and do this at my city. Because all you hear, even in Christian media, is how backslidden America is and people aren't interested in the gospel anymore and the churches don't care. But you know what I started to find out? That there's actually mayors 
and prime ministers and senators that are praying the same prayers we pray. God, we don't have the answer, but we need your help. And the Lord is starting to connect everybody in the spirit. If you'll come do this at my city, I'll give you any permits you want. And I'll give you any venue you want. Just promise me that you'll come. And when he said promise, he gripped me tighter. So at my size, it's like a physical threat. Soon ribs will start snapping like chicken wings. So I, I said, I promise. So we got the ball rolling on Vineland, then Kensington, where Bernard Hopkins is from. They invited us back, then Camden, New Jersey. Then we did seven more. Word starts to spread. I'll tell you, the one night, man, <laughs> it's so powerful how God backs you up and the Lord worked with them. If God didn't work with me, I'd be laying in a ditch in Philadelphia somewhere with 11 stab wounds missing my sneakers. But when the Lord works with you, I'm preaching the one night, all the power goes off demonically. It was being run by a generator that was full of gas by union electricians. When I got ready to give the altar call, all the power died. But instead of leaving, the people were like, oh shoot, this is real. They all pressed forward. I don't have a mic. The, the police officer was not allowed to do it. It's not Texas or Oklahoma. It's New, blue New Jersey. Runs to his car, grabs the riot control bullhorn, runs up on the stage and hands it to me and goes, keep preaching. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. People get saved that night. That was the night I switched things over where I used to just give altar calls and I thought, you know, I'm doing the whole thing. I said, you're welcome to go home now if you want, but if you'd like prayer, line up like we did in the parking lot. We had 1,100 people. Not only did everybody line up, people were texting their friends in the hood. Quick, come. He's almost to us. Bring your son that has out to bring whoever. And the crowd started to grow for people to get anointed with oil in the projects. Unsaved people. Go down to Clarksburg, West Virginia. Highest, uh, highest heroin usage per capita in the nation. Blow it up. Five heroin dealers saved. They bring their clients the next week. The whole rest of the week is bring, bringing people, walking them to the altar. The police officer that was assigned to the meeting said, we have a warrant out for that guy that just came down to the altar. He's the top heroin dealer, and we haven't been able to find him. They let, it, they let him stay. He brings like 27 clients to get saved. Lay hands on everybody. Get them baptized in the Holy Ghost. So I said all that to say this. Then we go into last year when I was here. We were setting this up where my one prayer point for last year was that God, we had leveled off at about 3,000 people a night. The most we had ever had come to the altar was 900. It averaged like between 200 and 550. And I said, Father, let this year give us 10,000 in attendance. And let us have the first altar call where we have a thousand people born again in one night. Amen. And I'm going to play a nine minute highlight reel of the devil getting his rear end kicked in Newark, New Jersey, right across the bridge from New York. And before they play it, because I'm going to pray for you very shortly. The reason I'm showing you this is not so I can be like a missionary that came back with slides in eight, 1985 to show you what's happening. This is in America. This is not a meeting in Central Africa or India. This is God moving in this nation. God actually has an interest in this country. God actually loves the people of this country. Without getting into a big thing on immigration, do you know, however you feel about immigration, 
God can actually cause the globalist plan to flood the country with people that are, have jihadist tendencies. It can actually backfire because they were in a place where they could never hear the gospel. And now instead of saying, well, you can go to the places where they have flooded with Somalis and people from Yemen and preach the gospel and let a fire get lit that spreads through the whole community. And what the devil planned can blow up in his face. So I want you, when you see this, to get a glimpse of what God will do, not his, could do, not what he wants to. What he is doing now, this is the beginnings of the rumbling of it. Go to pull me up on YouTube and see how many churches I say this at. This is my standard. God's really going to shake this town. This place I get back in the car after last night and say, I'm never going back to, to that church again. They don't know what they're doing. Pastor leaves after another eight months. Well, that ain't the case here, brother. You have a man and woman at the helm of this thing that they don't know about God. They know God. They carry his fire. Pastor Daniel preaches exactly like they tell you not to preach in this country. But like a lawnmower, just a couple pulls and let it rip. Then you let that fire loose. I said you let that fire loose. If somebody wants three points that all start with the same letter and cool videos and December to take a four-week series at Christmas on the, at the movies, what you can learn from Home Alone. I went to a church like that. I, I stayed very briefly. You know, if you watch Home Alone, we're going to play a clip. You'll see that Kevin's family gets so caught up in the busyness of Christmas that they leave him behind at the house. How many of you know oftentimes we can get so caught up in the busyness of the season that we forget what's important, which is our family? Let's bow our head and close our eyes. What is this? This is the worst thing I've ever been to. I saw Home Alone when I was eight. I already learned all the deep life lessons from it. <laughs> a lot, you, you listen to me say this before I play the video. A lot of what church has turned into is something that can only help successful people become more successful. But it doesn't have anything to bind up people whose hearts are broken. It doesn't have anything to set captives free. But Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, when he came back from the wilderness after his time of fasting and prayer, the Spirit of the Lord, the Bible says, and Jesus returned from the wilderness filled with the Holy Ghost. Everybody say filled with the Holy Ghost. And he picked up the scroll in the temple and declared, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me too. So God anoints you for a purpose. Preach deliverance to the captives. Open the eyes of the blind. Bind up the brokenhearted. That means there's people that their hearts are broken, that in the natural, that heart will stay broken the rest of your life. But with the anointing, God can supernaturally take a heart that's been shattered and bind it back up again by the anointing. Lift your hands all over this place. Father, tonight, I thank you for what you did Sunday. I thank you for what you did Monday. I thank you for what you've already done on Tuesday. But I pray tonight the fire of God would fall in this place. 
that people that are at the point of death, people that have done everything they can to hold their family together and it ain't working, I pray there would be a deluge from heaven. I pray by your spirit you would spoil people's appetite for the things of this world and they would become extremely hungry for you, thirsty for you, that you would put a crave, and in me too, Lord, me first, you would put a crave for the gifts and power of the Holy Ghost. I want your power. I want your anointing. I want your fire. Anoint me with fresh oil. And begin to fill everyone, but me first and me most, but then everybody else can have what's left. But I want the most. I want you. I want you. I need you. I thank you for the gift of the Holy Ghost. I thank you for the ability to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I thank you that we can live in this earth but not be bound to this earth. We can be seated with you in heavenly places. We can tell devils where to go and when to go. I thank you for power from heaven to speak to sickness and disease and command it out of bodies. I thank you for all you've done these last 17 years. But I think, Father, I ask you from June, whatever it is tonight, through December 31st, I pray we would see more people saved this year than all the other years put together. Supernaturally. I mean like just one open door after another open door. I pray, Father, that money would start to come in to finish this building in the church. I mean from everywhere. From the Middle East, from Qatar, from Africa, from China, that there would just be people traveling through Alaska that feel to come and drop off wealth. Let it be a sign and a wonder. Thank you for signs and wonders. Thank you for working with us with signs and wonders. Lift both hands to the Lord and say this from your belly. Thank you, Father, that I serve a God of signs and wonders. Now say this. Make me a sign and a wonder to my generation. Where the people that knew me before tonight will say, what happened to them? I knew them. That's not the same person. In Jesus' name. Enjoy a nine-minute highlight reel, the devil getting his rear end kicked in Newark, New Jersey, and then I'll pray for you at the end. Go ahead and roll it. Without you even praying for the sick. It's a word I got a week before. (laughs) 
devils will come out of people. People will jump up out of wheelchairs. In every city you go to, this guy this didn't even point, know who I was. I'm going to give you uncommon, unusual favor with the leaders in the church, even those in the world. They will say, Yes, we want this young man. And you will rise up and you will not only talk about a thousand here, three thousand there, which is great, says the Lord. But you shall talk about 10,000 here and 100,000 there and a million here and a million there. Festival of Life in Newark was unlike any other crusade in Revival Today history. Leading up to opening night, there was an excitement that spread Those are like the all sinners. city, giving us 20,000 pre-registrations. Lines began forming hours before it began, wrapping around the park on all sides. We knew that we were about to witness the greatest night of Festival of Life to date. God sent his only begotten son. He laid down his life for me. He laid down his life for you before you were ever born. God knew you. God had a plan for you. You can turn the sound up a little. big speakers and a good microphone. And we took it outside to tell every crack addict, every heroin dealer, every blood, crip, and Latin king, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you're only one prayer. Nine thousand people packed that. out the night. The police on site made comment that it was the biggest crowd they had ever seen in Lincoln Park. The gospel message was preached, and we saw an upwards of 1,700 souls saved on night one. An altar response so large that there was no room for the massive crowd that flooded forward. Seventeen hundred was certainly set for the week ahead and we were determined only to see victory upon victory. The Islamic City government of Newark, however, had different plans, making every effort to shut us down completely. On night three, the city placed a sign in the park announcing that it was the conclusion of Festival of Life. They thought they had brought the crusade to an end, but to their defeat, Evangelist Jonathan certainly had something to say in response. I see they put signs out there. This is the final night of Festival of Life. I have one question to ask. Who do you think you are? You didn't call me into the ministry. God called me into the ministry. And when God sends you, no devil can send you back. If you think I'm some spineless punk preacher, you got the wrong guy. I came to get this message to the people. And no devil in hell is going to stop it. Word spread fast that Festival of Life would be meeting indoors. And once again, Symphony the people Hall. of Newark lined up early with anticipation, wrapping around the building. I 
That was not an organized prayer line. When I finished preaching and went to walk off the, the stage, when I went to go to the aisle, people blocked me and pointed to their head that they wanted prayer. And then when I finished the first five, there was a line up the whole row and to the back. So then I just backed up and made an announcement and got everybody lined up. And we had about 2,000 people that were serving the devil four days before that wanted to be anointed with oil and prayed for. And you'll see what God did. Go ahead. So hungry for God. Men, women, and children crowded into the aisles at Symphony Hall while evangelist Jonathan laid hands on every Don't single tell person me Americans aren't hungry for who desired prayer. Many were touched and healed by the power that of God. That lady was going to die. It ended up with a condition or, or a disease. That it's an inherited disease and it's called sarcoidosis. What it does is it kills all your tissues. I woke up one day, I couldn't walk. I couldn't walk, I couldn't feel the earth under my feet. When he was ministering, it, it kind of like resonated with me. Really what happened was when I got here, when I got here, I put the wheelchair, I told somebody else to sit in the wheelchair, and I just, and I just got up. That was just it, I just got up, I got in the front, and, and I just enjoyed myself, and you know, um, I, I don't hurt, and, that, and that's strange to me. That's strange, I don't hurt. Um, I think I'm doing pretty good. I think I'm doing pretty good. He prayed for me last night, and my legs was hurting. That went away. He knew that I had um, messed up discs in my back, and I had this cane when I came in here, walking with this cane. And you see where I had this cane at, right? X-rays, AKG, I don't see anything. But I stand up there today, I don't feel that pain anymore. A year ago, I didn't want to live. Like, it's something that was, was something quiet and something that I didn't 
but wasn't going to go up to the altar call today. And then as the line got shorter, I hopped onto the end. And I'm going up and I'm waiting my turn and Jonathan looks right at me. The whole way up, I'm like reciting the things in my head of like, God, this University is what I'm for. This. When I got up there, Jonathan looked me right in the eye and he said, you will never be the same. And that's what I was like praying about the whole way up there. So powerful. Our family, we have kidney disease. Listen to My this lady preach. She's been saved 36 hours. And I always worried about that, like, Lord, I don't want to go that way. So he just proclaimed and declared over my life that it wouldn't happen. Not only that, today, my niece had to go to the doctor for her kidneys, but I thank God that I'm standing in the gap for my family, for me, to break the generational curse. And I thank God that I stayed because now I'm free. I don't have to worry about kidney problems. I don't have to worry about dying with kidney. And I'm going to go and I'm going to tell my niece, I'm going to tell her you don't have to worry because I stood in the gap. And when your results come back, you're going to be healed. It was a week of complete victory in Newark, New Jersey. The anointing during the crusade was so strong that even the police asked evangelist Jonathan for prayer. No amount of Islamic city government opposition could even come close to stopping the power of God. Grocery boxes were given to those in need, and 500 backpacks were given to school-aged children. And for the first time in Revival Today history, Festival of Life was broadcast live on television on both Faith USA and CTN. A potential reach of 70 million homes. The total attendance for the week came to 18,129 people, and 2,573 souls were saved, in addition to the countless salvations from those watching on TV and online. The people of Newark will never be the same and neither will we. Say it out loud. Now say it again, but change it to Alaska. Now I'll say this and then I wanna pray for you. If you talk to your grandparents, if they lived in Alaska and ask them what they lived like, America, not too long ago, was a bunch of shanty towns, people sleeping with everybody, hillbilly people, no time for God, and a revival blew through this country in the 40s and 50s. Then the charismatic, then after that revival of healing, people got hungry for the Holy Ghost, broke out in my city, Duquesne University, which is a Catholic university. The priests and nuns started to meet because they knew there was more power to be had and started meeting to get it, and it blew through America. 60s, 70s, 80s, Brother Shambach, all those kinds of meetings. And now it's kind of reverted back to the way that it was before those revivals where it's normal, just live together, have kids, guy run off, drink, get drunk, normal. But I'm telling you, that wind is blowing again. I don't mean, I, listen to me, I don't mean it's gonna blow. I mean that wind is blowing now. That wind is gonna blow through America again. Every, it's blowing now. It's gonna intensify. We don't have, you know, we don't set our crusades up and I'm not knocking anybody. But it's not like we had like uh, uh, Chris, somebody named me like a famous Christian singer or worship leader. Yeah, it's not like we had like Ty Trebet singing. I like him. It's not like we had Ty Trebet singing and so it drew a crowd of 85% Christian and then a few unsaved people snuck in. That was like raw heathens. And you saw the picture. It's not like they just came up to get saved. Saved, then lay your, I mean, I did it like it is a foreign field. Now, where you're sick in your body, lay your hand. If you have an addiction, lay your hand on your mouth 
or your heart. And you saw the crowd like, like crying and the Lord sweep through that whole field. When God started to open those crusades for me, he said, in your mind, don't be preaching to Americans. Pretend you're in 1920 Central Africa, 1920 rural India, that you're preaching to raw heathens that don't know God, don't know, don't say anything like, and we all know that Jesus, they don't know. Tell them about Calvary. Tell them about the blood that was shed. Tell them about the resurrection. Tell them about how he's coming back again. And if you'll preach like that and not give them some kind of watered down American and let it rip, the people are hungry. And boy, were they hungry. And now it's going to spread. I'm telling you, it's going to blow. It's going to blow stronger. It's going to go down the east coast of America, Boston, New York, New Jersey, down through Florida and Georgia. It's going to spread west. It's going to go Texas. It'll get lit up again. Austin, Texas. Every, every little stronghold the devil thinks he has, even places where they've purposely flooded in like jihadist Muslims, and put them in certain, like the 5th district in Minnesota. The Lord is going to make every plan of the devil backfire in his face. Where you're going to start to have spirit-filled Somali pastors with big Somali churches. God is going to upend every planting of the devil this year. The, not next year. This year in the name of Jesus Christ. It'll blow through California. I said it'll blow through California. It'll blow through Oregon and Washington. It'll go through Hawaii, Ahana, and Kahului, and all those islands where the KC churches are. And I'm going to tell you one last thing. America's stepchild, Alaska, is not going to be left out. This state is going to be lit ablaze. Somebody tell me a place up north in Alaska. From Nome, somebody tell me a place down south. From Nome to Juneau. Somebody tell me a place out east. Say it again. One more time. On Alaska. On Alaska. To what's west. Somebody tell me a west place. Where? From Alaska to Bethel. Alaska shall be saved. This generation of young Alaskans that the devil has marked for addiction and early death, they will preach the gospel when they're old and gray. They will be used by the power of God to shake this state. And you're not going to watch it happen. You're going to be a part of seeing it happen. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Stay on your feet, everybody. When I was here last year, it might have been the year before, Pastor Daniel leaned up. I started to have all these young evangelists contact me that they, they would like to come under my ministry. But, I, you know, I'm not stupid. My grandfather was a minister for 62 years. So all the things that sound glamorous to other people, I know the work that's involved of having ministers come under you. You're going to have to get phone calls five times a day. I don't know what to do. And. You know, I, I told them, I don't, I'm not set up for that. And I was wondering, well, then they keep calling. Maybe I should do something. And Pastor Daniel leaned over to me on, I think it was Sunday morning. He said, God's going to start to send you a bunch of young evangelists that are going to call and ask for help. And God will use you to impart to them. So we started to, to facilitate that. 
And then today I felt that just as I was preaching right now, before I pray for everybody, you know, if you sit under a gift, if God wants to use you in that gift, it starts to like make it rumble on the inside of you. And I know as I was preaching, because basically off of the strength of Mark 16, I just like, it's not even, it wasn't even like a sermon tonight. It was just like an explosion of, ev- of the grace of evangelism and the heart of evangelism. You can't be taught that. It has to be imparted and, and caught. And I know the Lord's, hallelujah. My friend, I know you have a baby on your chest, so I'll be extra gentle. Just lift both your hands to the Lord. I tell you that grace that's already on you is flowing even stronger on you right now. And the Lord, just like if somebody would have told me I would have had a meeting like that four years ago, I'd have, you know, lay off the weed. I don't have the money for that. I don't have the resources for that. But I'm going to tell you the same way that God did it by his grace. When you go back and do this next tour, it's not going to be normal. You're going to see like more done in these next 12 months. Even from now through December, you'll see more done than you have in all the years before that put together. There won't be any stagnation or frustration. There's just going to be an explosion everywhere your foot shall tread by the grace of God. And it's done, whether you've fallen or not. In Jesus' name. So what I wanted to do is like my friend there with the baby on her chest. If you feel, and I want to be specific, not just to call in the ministry, but you f- feel in you like that, like when that was when that was doing, it was like it was vibrating in your in your inner being. I, that's I know that's what I'm supposed. I feel called to that. I want to go and reach my nation. I'm not saying you can't go overseas. You can do both. It's not 1810. You can be in many places in the same day. They're actually getting ready to come out with a plane. So if they're upset about Kenneth Copeland's jet, they're really going to hate the one I'm going to get. Because they have one ready to go right now where you'll be able to be in London in an hour and a half. And I think like China in like six hours or less. Can you imagine if, as technology increases that you could go the opposite way of the time zones and hold like 20 meetings in the same day? Like what it used to take a missionary like 60 years to do, you could do in 24 hours now. The devil's not, the devil, it, I would hate to be a, a demon. It's going to be the worst year they've ever had. 2020, if Jesus tears, will be even worse. And I know part of the reason and one of the main reasons that God sent me here this week is for what's going to happen tonight, that God's call is on people. The Lord, never, the Lord never asked anybody, if you read the Bible, he never said, do you think you can do it? He just said, go, in this thy might. And as the Lord said, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. That dual gifting will drop into you right now, where you will be a wrecking ball, not only inside of that building, but outside of that building. The door that opened for you for television today will be the beginning of open doors. I believe the Lord will put you on secular TV and you won't have to pay. Primo ragaye iboragati eda. The things I have shown you in the night hours and the early morning hours 
of tens of thousands of Alaskans dancing in the Holy Ghost shall come to pass with speed. Take two steps forward if you can. Lift both your hands to the Lord. Today, and I don't say this lightly, the call of fire touches your lips. And much like with the dollars, where it just was like overnight, you'll begin to preach the fire of God out of your belly. You will be an unusual woman speaker. Jesus mighty name. If you feel, listen carefully, if you feel that call into evangelism, and I, I don't mean like you want to like witness. All Christians are to witness. I'm talking like you would lay down everything and f- take up your cross and follow Jesus. The Bible says before anybody builds a building, let them count the cost. I, so I'm talking like that. Look, I mean, you'll go where the Lord wants you to go and do what he wants you to do no, with no care for your own life. I want you, and again, I'm trying to talk you out. I'm talking like you felt the call to pulpit full-time evangelism. We have Bible college scholarships. They have a Bible college here. I'm talking like you're going to start giving yourself to that. I want you to quickly step out of your seat and just line straight across the front. And other than that, no moving around because we'll pray for everybody just after this. In Jesus' name. I see that gift being raised up in America again. I see the fields being full of tents again. I see there being too many pastors in villages. Come even closer if you would. Come as close to the front as you can. Praise God. Lift uh, your hands to the Lord. If you're carrying a a baby, obviously one hand is good. Timothy, stir up the gift that came on the inside of you when I laid my hands on you. The laying on of hands is a means to transfer the gift of God. Father, I thank you that as I lay hands on these, everything you've put in my heart and in my spirit to carry out this work of evangelism, I thank you that it flows freely into their spirit from tonight in Jesus' name. If you're filled with the Holy Ghost, born again, just stretch your hands forth towards these that are here. Filled! 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 That's it. Filled. Filled. I always wondered what happened to John Candy. Filled. 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 
Seu. 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 Let me pray for one more person before I go to the next part. My friend, are you brothers with him? I was going to say. You guys look a lot alike. Step out to the aisle if you would. Lift both your hands. I know you didn't come up, but I saw the power of God on you and your brother while I was preaching. And God's going to knit you together. You know, in fact, as I'm saying that, there's a guy, a great man of God that I preached for in South Africa. He, he preached, and his brother was in business, and his brother became a billionaire and, and would help him build. He built a 7,500-seater, a 6,500-seater, just built a 2,500. He says like multiple. I mean, it just flies from church to church on Sunday. And so I feel like the Lord's going to knit you and your brother together. And I'm sure you'll do some preaching, but it'll be like you like help each other like that. Maybe you'll get the business anointing. Father, I thank you for the anointing. In fact, I'll just go with it since that story came to me while I was getting ready to pray. Use my friend to by the anointing. Deuteronomy 8.18, it is the Lord your God who gives you power to create wealth. Use him to strip billions of dollars out of the hands of the wicked. And bring it into the kingdom. There it is. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. You mind if I pray for you? Lift both hands. Jesus wants you to know that he rescued your life. And he rescued your life because he has a great plan. Like way higher than what I'm doing. Be fish. More. Any money that's been tied up that's due you for doing the thing God called you to do, especially with getting the, the kids, that money's all going to be released now. I feel like there's some group, you're owed money, and they keep delaying it to make interest off the money and then just release it real slow, like Michael Avenatti, that lawyer would do. Comes right to you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Did I skip you?
Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You'll never be the same. If you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, life doesn't have to be a struggle. You can be saved. Jesus died so you can be saved. Yeah, I know a lot of people that say they're Christians. They don't act it. Yeah, they didn't save you. Just because they're going to hell doesn't mean you have to follow them. Whatever poor excuse for a Christian or a minister the devil put in your path to jade you to Christianity, I hope you realize tonight it was a trap. Well, it wasn't me, and it wasn't him, and it wasn't Jesus. Just like God sent me to Newark, God sent me to Wasilla to call you. Time is almost up. You know, we say it's, we're in the last days. The last days, according to what Peter said, began in Acts chapter 2, A.D. 33. We're coming up on the 2,000 year. You know, everybody expected something big to happen in the year 2000 because it's 2,000 years since the birth of Christ. But really, the, I, I feel 2,000 years since the birth of the church is going to be the end, end of the time of the Gentiles. And so we have a mission to call people. <laughs> if you'd have told a missionary that came to Alaska in 1940 that one day in Wasilla, not Anchorage, in Wasilla, there'd be a big, multiple thousand seater on top of that hill. They'd, Come on, we, that's all we can do to round up 25 people. But this is the last call of God, the last blow of the wind of heaven so that people that are marked for destruction right now can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And if you need to do that tonight, I preached a lot tonight in the abstract about Philadelphia and America, but now it's you. I want you to be saved. God wants you to be saved. I'm willing that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Ezekiel 18.4, all souls are mine. All souls belong to me. You belong to the Lord. And there's people here that the devil's done everything in his power to put people in your path, your own home, was a train wreck. Everything's been designed to see to it that you go to hell. But isn't it amazing how God can work that by his grace he'll draw you into this place to get one more call from the word of God. Get rid of sin. Don't let sin get rid of you. If you know you need to give your life to Jesus Christ tonight, I want you to quickly put your hand up high and wave it at me and we're going to pray together. I see you. Keep it up high. I see you on the side. I see you. In other states, you have to coerce people out of their seats to the altar. But Alaskans are bold and not proud. So I just want you to quickly, if you lifted your hand and know you need to be here, slip out of your seat and come to the altar right now, and we're going to pray. Come right now and meet me right in the center, in Jesus' mighty name. Come right to the middle. If you're watching online, I heard there's a church watching online, and you need to give your life to the Lord. I want you to pray this prayer with me when I pray with these in Alaska. The same prayer. It's one prayer. One prayer fits all. 
You say it out loud and mean it with your heart and it'll work. Come, anyone else who lifted their hand, come quickly to the middle and we'll pray. In Jesus' mighty name. God bless you. Say this out loud from, from your heart and say it to the Lord and God will hear this prayer. You, you guys are pretty cool. Do you know how many churches people leave during the altar call? They don't even give a poo about people getting saved. They start zipping up their jackets and leaving when people, not you. This is, God's going to bless you, man. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday are going to be a whirlwind of blessing. Coming your way. It's going to be the best summer you've ever had. You know, when you're a Christian, you have to love everybody. But I, I, I actually love you. You're great people. God has his hand on your life. You're an unusual group of people. Devil's going to get a serious tail whooping. Push the wrong people. There's going to be a blowback. Too much to handle. I'll tell you, even right now, family members that you have that stayed home, the peace of God is flooding that home. There'll be at least one man tonight that comes tomorrow night with the testimony he was not here tonight and he was delivered while we prayed here. What used to be commonplace in Mariah Woodworth Edders meetings, they're going to happen the rest of this week that the houses around are going to get affected. You're going to go to heaven and there's not going to be one person from your family missing. I don't care how lost they are right now. This lady in the second row with a phys ed shirt. Lift both hands right there. Close both eyes. You don't have to come any closer. Lift your hands all the way up. As you do, the fire of God falls on you right now. And then it's going to go from you to all the family that's connected to you. And they're all going to be set free. Also, God will give you a brand new bloodstream right now. In Jesus' name. There it is. More. 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 More than you can hold. There it is. Clean all your blood out. Starts a new chapter in your life. Come right out. Come right out. Lift both hands, close both eyes. As I've answered this prayer, I will answer all of the prayers that you prayed, says the Lord, and with speed. Put this hand on your belly. You look very healthy, but be healed in your body. In Jesus' mighty name. Anyway, as I was saying before, that lady interrupted me. Say this out loud. Heavenly Father, 
I've come forward tonight to give you my life. All that I am belongs to you. I believe in my heart. You raised Jesus from the dead. I confess with my mouth. Jesus Christ is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and my Savior. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Fill me with your power. Where I was weak, make me strong. In Jesus' name. Amen. Lift your hands up and let me bless you. My blessings work. I don't bless people when they sneeze. Be blessed in Jesus' name. The arrows of the wicked will not harm you. The shield of faith quenches every fiery dart of the devil. Tonight your life has been extended. That's the slowest falling under the power I've ever seen. Tonight your life has been, has been extended. You're not going to die. Not this year. You're going to live. two ladies, one with the blonde hair and the one with the uh, brown hair and blue shirt, just come right around. Well, you guys don't move. I think I was preaching with the 357 aimed at the crowd. Stand right there, lift both hands, close both eyes. The joy of the Lord. You're already happy, but now your joy is going to begin to overflow. Put one hand where your belly is. God's going to give you two brand new kidneys and a new pancreas. All your blood levels come to normal tonight. It's actually the working of miracles. New kidneys, new pancreas. There it is, right underneath your hand. More. your other hand on your belly as well. Whatever damage has been done on the inside, it all gets restored by the miracle working power of God. There it is. Keep your hands there real quick. Anything that's been damaged, the Lord repairs it. Anything that's too damaged to be repaired, God replaces it. The whole thing. Uterus, ovaries, cervix, womb. So enjoy. Anyway, I bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus. You three lift your hands. Jesus loves you. There it is. Filled. I will say this, any lady in the sound of my voice that you've cut yourself, you'll never cut yourself again, and actually, and actually, any scars you have will be gone before you wake up in the morning.
Amen. <laughs> free. Totally free. 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 You from Ukraine? The Ukraine? Where are you from? Here? Oh, lift both hands. Father, bless John Candy's twin brother. In Jesus' mighty name. There it is. You're going to have the best year. There it is. In Jesus' mighty name. <laughs> Hallelujah. from your belly. Greatest year you've ever had. Praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Lift your hands one more time, my friend. That's the joy of the Lord. Enjoy the great outdoors. <laughs> Loved you in planes, trains, and automobiles. Praise God. Every hand lifted all over this room. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. My friend with the blue tips, come right around. You know you like me, so don't pretend like you don't. Just stand up right there. Lift both hands. Close both eyes. The power of God's all over you. Totally set free. <laughs> there it is. Battle's over. <laughs> over. Hallelujah. Got to be agile. This lady with the jean jacket on and the blonde hair. And also this lady with the experienced wife shirt on. And the guy next to you. I like him. Come. I, I met you last year, huh? You. I can't remember anything you told me other than I like you. Where are you from? What part? Brooklyn. No wonder I like you. You have both hands. You lift your hands as well. The anointing for full-time Christian service comes upon you, and you won't lack. You won't lack a thing. You have too much. Hallelujah. Put your other hand on your belly. 
Be healed in Jesus' name. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. There it is. I see the Lord touching so many people. I was going to close. It would have been a mistake. <laughs> Tell them I'll be done soon. This lady with the fish diva, salty girls, come right now. Nice to meet you. Lift both hands, close both eyes. Power of God's all over you. You know, God can set you free from deep-seated things. There's people that are in their 50s and 60s that had stuff happen when they were growing up in their house that they never got free from it. God will take it out in one, one, one night. Fly away like a bird. Keep your right hand up. Put your left hand on your belly. Everything that's in your spirit that wasn't planted there by God gets pulled out tonight. There it is. More. Don't puke because I don't, these are nice shoes. Feel! That's it. Done. Feel! In Jesus' mighty name. There it is. Go ahead, speak that out. Oh, I know you. Hey, my friend. Yeah, you too, but I like him, so bring him. Both, just stand shoulder to shoulder. Lift both hands, close both eyes. It'll be a highlight of my trip that I got to meet you, by the way. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I loose that fire from heaven to burn in your spirit, to sit upon your head, that where you were weak, now you'll be too strong. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Filled. God will use you mightily. In Jesus' mighty name. You're welcome, brother. God bless you. God bless you. You're welcome. Praise the Lord. My friend back here. I don't like when people try to dress nicer than me, so don't do it anymore. This nice couple, come right out. Both of you. Lift both hands, close both eyes. One open door after another. And you shall not lack. You shall not lack. There won't just be money to do what God's called you to do. There'll be money for you. I hope you know that from the Lord. You are not a pawn in the Lord's game. He actually cares about you just as much as he cares about unsaved people. You won't lack. Bill! There it is. The money's going to come in your hand from everywhere. Not for souls. For you and your family. Jesus' mighty name. Put one hand where your lungs and heart are and put the other one where your mouth is. One hand on your lungs and heart, one hand on your mouth. 
And then one thing that eats at your money, the Lord takes it away. And it'll restore your whole body. This lady in the Star Wars sweatshirt, come right out. Power of God's all over you. Lift both hands. If you like Star Wars, listen to this sound. <laughs> Sounds like the, the sword. Lift both hands, close both eyes. You can see when the Lord touches family members or people that are close, it'll jump from the one right to the other. That's what happened to you. And you're free. Hey, hey, hey. You look good. Why, thank you. I mean, no, I mean. <laughs> Moving good. Proud of you. I'd pray for you, but you, you, there's nothing to pray. You got, you got blessed last night. It's going to keep going. Never stop. Keep keep moving. Do you mind if I prayed for you? You don't mind? Take one couple steps up. Lift both hands. <laughs> Put one hand where your heart and lungs are, the other one where your belly is. <clears throat> Underneath your hands, past this is the power of God. Every unclean thing in your body comes out, and any damage from treatment. this at the root. In Jesus' name. You bring your little cane things? Just one. Just one? Yeah. Good. And it'll keep coming loose as you keep walking. I expect those to be on eBay no later than Friday night. <laughs> I mean it. Too pretty to walk with those things. Stupid devil. I'm going to get his rear end kicked. Amen. 
Well, looks like I've made a mess. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> You're going to have a great rest of the year. From June through December 25th, yeah, the best time you ever had. Let me take one more lap around and I'll leave you alone. You don't have to die. You can live. You don't have to be poor. You can be rich. You don't have to be sick. You can be healed. Jesus loves you. Loves you so much. He didn't just come to the cross and die. Before he went and died, they laid his back open. They whipped his back, and that was not for your sin. That was he carried all your sickness and all your disease. My friend, you mind if I prayed for you? Power of God's all over you. That's the only reason. Is that a Marines logo? Praise God. Both hands, close both eyes. That's the anointing of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> there it is. Filled. Jesus' name. If you don't like that kind of thing, I can recommend the church down the hill from here. <laughs> it would feel right at home. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 Praise the Lord. Before you're seated, lift your right hand up and then put your left hand up next to it. And I want you to take 60 seconds and not clap. The Bible says, with the fruit of my lips. <laughs> You'll be a medical marvel. Just take 60 seconds and begin to open up your mouth and tell Jesus how much you love him. 60 seconds. Train your mouth to do it. I love you, Lord Jesus. Blessed be your name forever and ever. Twenty more seconds. Brigisto Bobra Kandiabata. Bondo Rabani.
this lady in the, the two eyes and the nose. She lift both hands, close both eyes. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ. Lift your hands, Riviet. Be filled. Close both eyes. Be filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. More. More. Name. We got the Ukraine, Middle East, Brooklyn. It's like a United Nations meeting here. Hallelujah. Well, turn to the person next to you and tell them congratulations. You can be comfortably seated. We'll dismiss you in just a second. How many of you, by the show, show of an upraised hand, can tell you got something tonight? You know, you can get a, a spiritual gift, and it, it'll stay with you. There's a man named uh, Pastor Enoch Adaboye. He's the overseer of the largest mass of Christians in the world. They had a building that was one kilometer by two kilometers, one kilometer wide by two kilometers long, that seated half a million people, and it was too small, so they just finished their new one. Three, you know, we do miles, so it's 1.87 miles by 1.87 miles. It seats a million people, and then they used the half a million one for overflow. And when he took that denomination, it had 31 churches, and now they're in 180-plus nations. Nations that don't even let churches in, like, you know, Jordan. Uh, uh, nations, they're not allowed to announce that they have a church there. And now he's 77. I think he just turned 77. I got to meet him last June. I'm going to tell you this because I'm telling you how spiritual things work. I got back. I got the chance to go back and meet him. And that was before that Newark crusade. And he laid his hands on me and said, everything will go to another level now. And everything went to another level. So spiritual gifts don't just drop into your lap like ripe cherries off of a tree. The Bible says covet earnestly the best gifts. So that's what you're doing. You come at noon and seven every day. You got a zillion places you could be. Where you consecrate one week of your life to be in the presence of God. You sit under that. You get something. And tonight you got something. And then it's your job to keep it stirred up. But as you keep it stirred up, it keeps working. And that's the thing about a spiritual gift. You don't have to try. You know, when I was uh, my first year at Bible college, it was actually one of the first Sundays I was at Bible college. I was only 17. I had already preached one time, and it was terrible. And I asked the Lord in my room, I said, Father, if I'm going to preach, you've got to give me what my dad and my uncles have because I'll, I don't want to be a boring preacher. I had to sit through boring services. I don't want to do that to people. I need your help. The next day, Sunday morning at Freshman Chapel, this uh, student, Jesse Norwood, that still ministers in, in Illinois, gives a message in tongues and then points back at me. 
And I was trying to think like what I did. And he said, thus saith the Lord, you have asked me for the gift to preach and now I give you the anointing to preach. And something hit me. And now, I mean 17 years, more than that, over 20 years later, if you woke me up out of a nap and handed me a microphone and there were 6,000 people, something erupts out of the inside of me. And it keeps going. That doesn't mean I don't study and stuff, but I guess I just studied for 20 years in case it doesn't work. Because I go up there with notes and I basically just started saying hello to you and here we are. And I used to, because of how you get trained in a denomination, I used to try to like get out of that. Like I'd go, and I'd go, no, stay on your notes. But then I just started, just go with it. Because I realized it wasn't my own thoughts. That what they call getting off track was actually the right track. So it's, it's a gift. That the Lord, not a gift I have, it's a gift that comes from the Lord. So you say, well, you're not a preacher, but then God has a gifts that pertain to what you do in life. Can you say amen? amen? Can you imagine if by the word of knowledge you just knew where the oil was? And you ran a company, you didn't have to drill nine times and run another company to come and do it. You just say, Lauren spoke to me, I know it's there. And they think you're nuts, but then after you hit it correctly for the fourth time, they quit thinking you're nuts. Can you say amen? amen. Yeah, it's not all finding, you know, knowing that somebody needs healed. Samuel knew where Saul's donkeys were. Can you say amen? Yeah, to work for everything. My dad used to know stuff that I told my teachers that day. Did you say this to your teacher today? Yes. Don't do it anymore. I mean, word for word by the Holy Ghost. If you, if you leave spiritual things for meetings and then go back to real life, you're going to get run over. If what you're carrying right now, stay in it. If you have Cardi B queued up in your car, don't turn the radio on. Don't pop in and out of the presence of God. That was the mistake Samson made. Get in the anointing, win a battle, go back to a hooker. Now you might, yeah, Delilah was a hooker. Sorry that, that that's revelation to you. She was a sorry, prostitute, is that better? We always just said hookers. Yeah, lady of the night. Wanton woman. <laughs> like seven, yeah, 17th century. And then it ended up killing him. He could do it for a while. But then it caught him. Stay, everybody say this. Say, stay in the anointing. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Chronicles 22. I'm going to receive an offering. As they've warned you on CNN, that's what we do. 1 Corinthians 22. Or, sorry, 1 Chronicles 22. You're going to have a rough time finding 1 Corinthians 22. Once you get to 22, go to 29. You guys are one easy going bunch of people. First Chronicles 29.1. The Bible says, Then King David turned to the entire assembly and said, My son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen 
to, as the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. The work ahead of him is enormous, for the temple he will build is not for mere mortals. It is for the Lord God himself. Using every resource at my command, I have gathered as much as I could for building the temple of my God. Now there's enough gold, silver, bronze, iron, and wood, as well as great quantities of onyx, other precious stones, costly jewels, and all kinds of fine stone and marble. Verse 3, and now, because of my love or affection to the temple of my God. Everybody say love. love. Everybody say affection. Because of my love and affection to the temple of my God, I'm giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. You're going to read, he doesn't have like a jewelry box. This is an addition. Listen to this. This is an addition to the building materials I've already collected for his holy temple. I am donating more than 112 tons of gold. This is his money after he served the Lord. From lowest in his family to in his private treasury, he has 112 tons of gold and 262 tons of refined silver to be used for overlaying the walls of the buildings and for the other gold and silver work to be done by the craftsmen. Now then, who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today? So a lot of people only know that verse about don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. But that's talking about giving to the poor. There is, there is giving by example. And David told everybody exactly what he gave and said, who will follow my example? If you know me, then you know. And if you don't, it's not important. But our secret of how we went to having so little money come into our ministry that we had the state of Virginia mail back our state income tax basically with a letter you know, avail yourself of the services that we offer, Medicaid, and hope you get back on your feet. You know, basically a letter letting you know, in case you didn't know, you're poor. So that crusade in Newark was 100000 and then when they pulled the permit on us, and we had to rent City Hall, that was another 40, you know, ended up being close to $180,000. I didn't take that in, in in 18 months. So to have it on hand to do like that, how do you do that? We actually gave our way. If you ever want to do spiritual warfare against poverty, give. Because giving will actually put God to work against poverty. And so David led by example. If you saw that video that I played in Newark, you get a glimpse of what we do. Then plus, even though it's not as glamorous, because there's no visible crowd, we're on TV now Monday to Friday a half hour a day on Dish Network and DirecTV and hit 34 million homes and give an altar call to get saved and people get saved every day. And so uh, that's something that I know you care about or you'd have left about an hour, 30 minutes ago. But as that stirred your heart, David said, because of my affection... For the temple of the Lord. Back then the work was just building a temple. Which there are, are still the important work of building churches. And churches should be the nicest buildings in their community. The devil shouldn't be able to throw up a $900 million casino for fun in eight months. And the church put up some dilapidated piece of garbage building. When I drive by that church you guys have up. It looks better half built than most churches do fully built. That thing is going to be a marvel. That church will stand as a testament that El Shaddai has not died. 
But then there's also the work of souls, bringing in the lost. And so I wanted to read that scripture because 112 tons of gold, you can look up right now on Google what gold is per ounce, then look up how many ounces are in a pound, then look up how many pounds are in a ton, and then multiply it by 112, and you'll see that David, between the silver and the gold, gave a $6 billion offering out of his own private treasury in one sitting. And look now, he's still considered the king of Israel. They still consider him their king. The nicest hotel in Jerusalem is the King David Hotel. His logo is still on the flag. It's amazing. And so there's a time in your life where you need to give an offering that is what I would call an uncommon offering, something that's not comfortable, something, because I like what David said. Actually, God used that, that scripture to change me and my ministry because ministers are professionals at collecting money from other people and giving it and saying they gave it. But David collected from everybody. All the kings that he was friends with gave. And then he said, I collected that. But then in addition to that, I gave. And he actually outgave all the people put together. So by that scripture, I learned a lesson. That if I take care of my giving, I don't have to worry about what the people give. Because my seed will produce a harvest for me. And an uncommon seed produces an uncommon harvest. And many people are going to go to heaven that love God, but the biggest check they ever wrote their whole life was at Costco or Walmart for a flat screen television or a living room set somewhere. But they've never actually sown what they're used to doing for a truck or a TV or a living room set. Not I'm all for that. Hope you have nine living rooms. Hope you end up owning an apartment complex and furnishing them all. I'm not a, it's not you have to pick one instead of the other. Actually, if you give... God will pour more in your lap for you than you ever would have bought for yourself. That's a fact. But I'm going to challenge you to do something tonight. I know you believe in what we do. Most of you have known what, what, what we do before this week. As we are serious, and that's why I play the video. Anybody can just blow smoke about it. We want to see America saved. We have a plan in place to see what happened in the 50s and 60s and up through the 80s happen again. And so we're going to get it done. If you would like to give, and you would like to make tonight the night where you try God at that level, where you give something that matters, something you, you, you your family, if they found out about, would freak out. That's how they used to give in the Bible. They gave big offerings. That lady that gave the alabaster box, that was a year's salary. It wasn't a Calvin Klein perfume for $7 at the TJ Maxx clearance rack. It was expensive. To the point that when she broke it over Jesus, people freaked out. You could have sold that and funded it. She said, leave her alone. She did this to honor me. And I want you to notice what David's motivation was in giving. Because of my love and affection for the Lord in his temple. I pray that a grace will come on you where you have a love for God and for his kingdom. You saw those black people in Newark. I could show you the white people in West Virginia. God loves people. He wants them to be saved. And if you'll catch a love for that and reflect that love in your giving, the blessing of God will never leave your personal home. That's a fact. My dad stood up in a meeting when I was a little boy. We were having a business meeting at our Assemblies of God Church. They were having a meeting. The pastor, I won't say his name, but they were going to sell him the parsonage so that he could have his own house. And they, they were discussing how much to sell him the parsonage for. 
And my dad's a very quiet man. He's not like his loudmouth, ignorant son. Amen. He's very like gentlemanly. He never would speak up in church. Never, never do anything. If it wasn't his service, you wouldn't even know he was a preacher. Just sit there like everybody else. And he stood up, and I could feel like heat coming off of him. And he, he rebuked the, all of the elders and everything. He said, this man's been the pastor at this church for 30 years. You bought this house back in the 60s for like 9000 and now you're discussing selling it to him? The church had 40 people when he took it. Now it's at 800. Give him the church. Well, the pastor, you know, his eyes, he said, I'm going to excuse myself from the meeting. And then, but they gave it to him. And then when I was a junior in high school, that happened when I was like nine. When I was a junior in high school, we had a lady call our house and say, Tiff, my dad, God spoke to me to give you my house. It's about five, he doesn't like me saying this, but my dad's loaded by the blessing of God. It's a mansion. I consider, he said, well, I don't want to say, it. I would say it's a mansion and it has the most property in that town. By far, nobody owns more than an acre and it's over seven acres. About 5,000 square feet, two fireplaces, and we were living in a rental, rented property, lived in rented property our whole life. And when that lady turned that over to my dad, the Lord spoke to my dad. Do you remember what you did for Pastor so-and-so? When you took a stand to give him that house, that's why I'm giving you a house. What you make happen for others, God makes happen for you. And what you make happen for the kingdom, this is why I will never be embarrassed as much as they try to shame preachers away from taking an offering. I will never allow myself to be embarrassed because the offering actually is not to help the preacher. The offering is the people having an opportunity for God to help them. And God lets you write the level of your ticket. If you give sparingly, you will reap sparingly. But if you give something that has your heart attached to it, like real money, you're here Sunday, and I don't keep bringing this, I only bring it up to let you know I'm not blowing smoke. I brought 10,000. I sent 16 before without a phone call. If he didn't bring it up, I never would have said it. So I've given just under 30,000 to, to your church, and I'm not done. And as we give that, it keeps. I had an MMA fighter, very well-known MMA fighter, call me up out of the blue. I never had met him and donate like 80-some thousand worth of Bitcoin. Hey, I was listening to you on YouTube, and I felt to give this. Who does that? Some lady from Labrador, Canada. I didn't even know that was a place. I've never preached within 30 hours of there. Send 10,000. Money just, we spend time in our office saying, who is this person? Where do they live? How do they hear about us? Because if you take care of putting God's kingdom first in your giving, God said, see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that's so great. You don't have to be a millionaire to give a thousand. You have to be a thousandaire. You don't have to be a millionaire to give 10,000. You have to be a 10,000er. Why don't you try one time on a night like tonight giving something for souls that's a substantial offering and then give it in faith that as you plant that as seed in the work of the Lord that the blessing of God will be dumped on you in a way like when we were moving into that home with our mouths open, like it's not even happening. God will do something so astounding for you and your family. A righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. You can break out of this American system that's in place to keep you poor. You can literally shatter it by your giving. 
So I'll just challenge you to do that. And I, it means different things for different people. I've had one guy give a million dollars in one offering. I had another businessman come up to me and say, Jonathan, I heard that guy gave a million. I had told the Lord I wanted to be the first one to give a million. I said, if you're the second, he'll forgive you. Amen. <laughs> so not everybody can give a million, but many can't. Many watching online, people have it. If you, I don't have it. But yeah, I'm not talking to you. But everybody's not a struggling single mother. There's people that God has changed their financial level 20 times and they still give like they're at level one. I want to challenge you tonight to break it. Do something to push the kingdom of God forward in your generation and watch what God does in return. Please welcome the handsomest pastor in all of Alaska, Pastor Daniel Bracken. I'll see you at noon tomorrow. I've actually had uh, people come, uh, friends of mine, well-meaning. They said this, uh, Jonathan, they said, uh, you know, you better not have guests. Don't have any guests. I told you this already. See, when you're building a building project, the logical thing for most pastors is to say, don't have a guest. And they say, you know, you just got to watch your budget. And, you know, we watch our budget. We do all that. But you, you don't have a guest because you take, you know, you got to receive an offering and then people won't give the building project. You know what happened that one year that you came? I told this to you. We, you came and we had amazing meetings. Not at this level, though. We're going to another level. That's true. And um, we were in a prayer meeting on the property. Ushers, would you help us go up and down the aisles, please? And... Uh, Serve the people four different ways to give while you're doing that. We were in a prayer meeting and um, a man came walking across our then just a, a lot. We had, no, we had no financing. We were believing God. We had no way to put the building up. Came walking across the lot and uh, early morning prayer on a Saturday morning. Some of you were there and I went to go rebuke him and the Lord said, don't do it. <laughs> He was touched by the Lord, and he was on his walk going through our property, which he had done for the past, I don't know how many, 15 years or whatever. And uh, he walked through, and we went onto the property, and we would pray around the corners of the church, the lot, you know, where all the, the corner flags were, you know, where all the markers, before the steel, before the concrete, before anything, before we had money to do anything. We just had the land, which was already a miracle. He comes back about 20 to maybe 20 minutes later, 15 minutes later. He appears back in the property. He puts his hand up. And I go over to him. He's shaking and he's crying. And he said, I don't know what's going on. I said, oh, praise God. <laughs> he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to come back and talk to you. I said, well, okay, wonderful. I just started worshiping. He's crying. He pulls himself together and he says, I need to pay for all the concrete. I need to pay for the whole foundation of the, of the church. I was like, yes, thank you, Jesus. It's God, it's God. And uh, we rejoiced, and they said, how big is it? <laughs> I said, it's big. He said, okay, you know, we'll see what we can do. I believe the Lord spoke to him, and he didn't follow through with that. But that's between him and the Lord. God did miracles for us after that where, you know, Listen, we got laughed at by local banks. What the, I'm just going to say this. I'm going to, you fire me up so I can get myself in trouble, but what else is new? Welcome to Kings. We're so glad you're here. 
the banks actually laughed at us and said, you need to come up with 50% of the money before we lend you 50, 50%. What kind of a ridiculous shake is that? That's absolutely insane. Can you imagine that? When you have a credit and a, and a, and a you know, 15-year history of going through the roof, basically. As they laughed, I said, well, you know, thanks for your time and walked out. We got 4.4% financing to do our building thus far. Do you know what that is? Do you, do you know what that is for, do you know what that is for commercial, a commercial loan? That's good for a house loan. I'm talking about a commercial loan. God is doing miracles and I so appreciate your ministry. I love you. I love your purity of heart. I love the whole Shuttlesworth family. We love your cousin and I just love you. You, you, I've been very touched by the Lord tonight. God loves a cheerful giver. Dr. Morocco taught on that. Ushers, would you come put buckets up front here? Brother Toby and D, just jump up and grab a mic, would you? I'm going to mess up the whole worship plan. I don't know what it is. I just changed it because I can't. going to worship God. God loves a cheerful giver. You know what that, 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 that picture of that is this. That when you're a giver, when you release your faith in giving, it puts you in a special place of His love where He goes, oh, 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 I'm going to do something for you. Come on, somebody say, oh. Stand up on your feet all across this place. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We celebrate you. We glorify you. And we lift up this offering unto you. Come on, just lift it up before the Lord. And we thank you for a hundredfold return for the blessing of God coming down upon our heads. Thank you for the privilege of doing something for the kingdom. Lord, release your best, your highest, your fullest blessing upon your people. Give you the blessing of Abraham. That you blessed Abraham in all things. Bless us in all things. For the glory of God in the name of Jesus. Amen. Come on up and sow your gift into these buckets up here.
will be back here at seven o'clock come on god is great let me bless you lift your hands to heaven and we'll be concluded for tonight father thank you for what you've done what you're doing and what you will do bless your people cause your face to shine upon us lift up your countenance towards us be gracious to us keep us give us peace in jesus name god bless you we love you thank you for joining today's podcast if god is impacting your life through this ministry you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com also don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one